Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek podcast. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who happen to have children on the autism spectrum. Join me, Elizabeth, and my co-host Vicki as each week we talk about Star Trek episodes, both new and old. Are you ready for the adventure? Come join us on Moms Going Boldly. Apologies for the audio in this episode. We had some weather-related background noise issues and microphone issues all the way through, so we apologize for the audio quality. Thanks. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. Today we're talking about Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 10, Hegemony. How are you doing today, Vicki? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. What did you think of this episode? I really loved this episode. <laughs> there was so much going on. Yeah. And I knew we were going to get Gorn, and I knew they were going to wait for the end of the season to do it. Yeah. So that was no surprise, but it was still an intense episode. Of course. We knew from the very beginning of the season that we were going to get Gorn. You know, they showed us this little scene at Starfleet right. showing something about the Gorn border. So that was the seed that was planted that we knew was going to bear fruit sometimes in the season. And you're absolutely right. There it was. Yeah, I did have an issue with the very last scene, and we'll get to it. Okay, (laughs) I had a couple of issues, but they were little things. Yeah. So we can talk about those things. All right, I'm going to read this synopsis. And i got to tell you, the synopsis is so basic, we have a lot more to talk about. Right. So here we go. And this is from the Memory Alpha fandom wiki. When the USS Enterprise investigates an attack on a colony at the edge of Federation space, Captain Pike and his crew face the return of a formidable enemy. Now, I gotta tell you, that synopsis <laughs> just, just is the tip of the iceberg about what happened in this episode. So let's uh, go ahead and get started. We start off here with the Cayuga, which is Captain Battelle's, Marie Battelle's ship. And on board at this time is Nurse Chapel, who is getting transportation to her archaeological medicine fellowship with Dr. Corby, who we know from the original series became her fiance. Right. And so they're on a planet and they're helping this brand new colony, which is, you know, coincidentally set in the back lot. (laughs) on a paramount back lot that looks like you know midwest in the 1950s it could have been i don't i think uh back to the future is act was actually a fox production but it looked like the back to the future anyway there they are and they're you know happy they're not breaking into song every 10 minutes and talking about all the things that they're doing to help this colony and the captain is having a subspace conversation with captain pike it's a cute little interaction flirtation and he said something about i miss you which Mm -hmm. at which point you know it's sort of like oh she's dead (laughs) (laughs) as soon as the captain expresses appreciation for someone of course they're going to die that's how it always goes so their conversation gets interrupted and she thinks it's some kind of communications problem just something small that she wants her crew people to fix but then all of a sudden they see a crashing shuttlecraft and then they see a huge ship emerging through the atmosphere and we know something really bad is happening she gets an opportunity to send out a distress call which 
the Enterprise picks up, and then they head over to this planet and discover the Cayuga is completely destroyed. I mean, it was actually shocking right. to see how much damage had been done to the ship. The ship was gone. Right. It was half a saucer section, and that was it. It was terrible. Really terrible. And then, of course, the question is, is Captain alive? And is Chapel alive? And they can't tell if anybody's alive on the ship because the Gorn have implemented some kind of damping field or some kind of interference field, the same thing that stopped the communications between the captains when they were having their cute interaction. And then all of a sudden they get a message from Starfleet saying, the Gorn have told us where their boundaries are for their space. It's on the other side of where this planet is and you're not allowed to go to this planet. We don't care who's on there. Which I thought was really interesting. That didn't feel very realistic to me. Not at all. Because, of course, the Enterprise is going to want to rescue these Federation colonists. Of course, yes. Even though they're on a planet outside the Federation. Of course they are. And of course they want to rescue any of their crew, their Federation of Starfleet crew. And I find it very difficult to believe that the Federation or Starfleet would willingly abandon people to the Gorn, knowing what the Gorn are and what they do. Right. And this isn't like the demilitarized zone in Deep Space Nine and The Next Generation, where we have settlers who are theoretically coexisting with the Cardassians. And, the Gorn and, eat people. Right, and these settlers on Deep Space Nine and TNG, they knew the risks right. of staying they, on that know, planet. They, yes, exactly. So I, I actually found that to be very... This whole The whole premise of this seemed very, I don't know, not logical, didn't seem to work for me, which of course, you know, sets up the whole Enterprise crew has to figure out how to, a way to get down on this planet to rescue their people adventure. But the premise didn't sit well with me. It didn't make any sense. No. And if they had said, you need to hold off until we have a chance to negotiate, that would have made more sense. They right. just said, okay, we're accepting this line that the Gord is drawing right through the space and we're going to stay on the other side of it. It just, it just felt weird. I agree. So they, of course, decide that they're going to go down to the planet and rescue their people. And the way they're going to do that is they're going to take a shuttlecraft and they're going to pilot it through the debris, which the Gorn is ignoring, and act like debris. Mm -hmm. As they are planning this, Pike starts telling Ortegas how great she is. And I'm thinking, oh, is she going to die too? (laughs) (laughs) So now we got two people potentially on the chopping block because Pike is complimenting them. (laughs) Stop complimenting people. <laughs> anyway, and you know, we haven't gotten her backstory or anything. No, we haven't. Remember, we were just talking about that last week. We don't have her backstory. Does that mean that she's expendable? I hope not because I really like her. No, I don't think so. But yeah, I, I see <laughs> I see what you're saying. So anyway, they make it to the planet and they've got Captain Pike, Ortegas, Laon, and Dr. Mbenga. Now, of these people, the only ones that we know actually survive to the next, excuse me, to the original series is Dr. Mbenga and Pike. Right. So it's like nerve-wracking because we've come to care about these people. They've done such a wonderful job making this series an ensemble series with each character being well-developed and, and we have investment in them. And I'm like, good Lord, I don't want to lose it. Oh, and also Sam Kirk. He's there too. And he survives to, yeah. the, to the original series right. as well. Right, we, so, we know that, yeah. So Laon and Ortegas... <laughs> I'm worried about them. Anyway, so these guys get down to the planet. It's nighttime. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They see younglings, like Gorn younglings, running through the streets. There's clear there's been a battle. It's like chaos. Mm-hmm. And there's, but there's no signs of people. And then they finally detect signs of people, and they go find that, and they go to this 
shop and suddenly find themselves in some kind of force field, which is, as it turns out, a gourd trap. <laughs> right. Set by none other than Lieutenant Montgomery Scott. Now, did you know that was coming? No, and it's funny. The second time I watched it, I had completely forgotten he showed up in the first time I watched it. And now that we're talking about it again, again, I completely forgot that he showed up. So it must not have made a big impression on me. Right. Well, I think I had heard hypotheses that he might show up, but I was delighted. Absolutely delighted to see him. And nice to see him as lieutenant and, you know, so sort of inexperienced and, but still as energetic as the previous portrayals of him have been, right. you know, from the original series and the J.J. Abrams movies, very energetic character. And so this presentation of him was also energetic and smart. I really enjoyed it. And we got some backstory from him, too, which was really good. We got some back, some of Scotty's backstory. It told in a way that was very organic and very natural. But now we have this really cool stuff in canon about how he survived a Gorn attack. Yes. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So... They find, oh, and Scotty leads them to where the humans are hiding out, or presumably hiding out. And I guess from the previous Gorn episode, we saw the tactic that La'on told them about and that we learned about is that they sort of just keep the humans all together and then just eat them as needed. Right, but I don't know that they were keeping them together because they did notice that the, the younglings were hungry. And Lon pointed out that that means there's no food. So they thought all the humans were dead. Yes, right. Okay, so somehow these humans are protecting themselves from being eaten. That's my guess. Okay, but it wasn't really clear how that was happening. There's a lot of unanswered questions. And we should just say this straight out. This ended on a cliffhanger Yeah. with a lot of unanswered questions. Right. So this is one of them. Uh, So he's talking about how he has a shuttle. They're going to see if they can try to fix the shuttle. Even though they can't fit all the survivors onto the shuttle, they could get the shuttle back and, you know, do something to try to rescue everybody else. And in the middle of trying to fix the shuttle, they're attacked by a youngling. The youngling comes right up to Batal, and she essentially drives it away. (laughs) And that's when you know. You know, my spouse is like, what's that all about? And I said, she's impregnated. It's aliens. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and he was like oh okay and sure enough we find out later that yes she's impregnated and that youngling didn't attack her because it recognized her as carrying one of its own right she was an incubator so what happened next well they argue pike argues with her about right there's a lot of argument and she's wanting to stay on the planet because she knows she's carrying something incredibly dangerous in her body now and he's like not you know we're not leaving you behind and Okay, this is the part that I was blanking on. So back on the Enterprise, and I really appreciated this. We had two essential storylines going on with an on-the-ground rescue storyline, which was really Pike trying to figure out what happened to his girlfriend and Chapel, but also the you know the survivors. So, And then we also had those on the Enterprise worrying about their captain. Spock's worried about Chapel, who, as far as they were all concerned on the planet, she had beamed up back to the ship and was lost when the Cayuga was destroyed. Right. So the Enterprise folks come up with this great idea. They discover the source of the jamming interference signal, and they're going to attach rockets to the damaged saucer section of the Cayuga and very gently nudge it into a decaying orbit until it crashes on the planet, and they're going to aim it to destroy the source of the signal. Right. Which I love as an idea. 
the way that it came together, and it came together quite coolly, and we'll talk about that in a minute too. But there were a couple of problems I had with this. First of all, Spock had said early on in the episode that he could tell by, you know, just looking at the, you know, different chemicals give off a different right, right. spectrometric reading. That right? there was so oxygen. He could tell by the spectrometric readings that there was still oxygen aboard that ship, which meant there was probably still survivors. Exactly. That's exactly what I was, go ahead. <laughs> That's exactly what yeah. I was going to say. And they did nothing to try to rescue these survivors. Right. Spock was still adamant that she could be alive all this time. So when he goes over there, wouldn't you think he'd try to look for her a little bit before? Yeah. I had a big issue with that whole scene. Yes. Yeah. And so here's, I think, the bottom line of that scene. It was too short. All the way around, I think that was too short. And I think they could have made that scene longer. This is a series that's on streaming. It's not like they have to make it fit into commercial television with commercials and a time slot. They right. could have made this episode longer. They could have taken the time to search the ship for survivors. Right. They could have taken the time to search the ship for chapel. And I felt, without having any physics background at all, that it was a heck of a lot too easy to somehow maneuver the ship, make it have a decaying orbit while still looking like space debris, and then have it hit the right place in the right time in such a short period of time. Things falling out of the sky take time. I mean, it just does. <laughs> at least I think it does. So that's one of the things that kind of... Didn't feel very realistic to me. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. Attention Warehouse fans. Kim and Vicky continue on with the Warehouse theme on the 13th Warehouse with Friday the 13th, the 1988 television series. Follow Mickey, Ryan, and Jack as they hunt for cursed antiques sold by Uncle Lewis to unsuspecting and sometimes suspecting patrons of his antique shop. So stick with us on the 13th Warehouse for Friday the 13th, the series. You can listen to the 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. We do find out that Chapel did survive the destruction of the ship. She was in a pocket of oxygen, one of those pockets of oxygen that Spock discovered. The other thing that bothered me, she didn't check anybody around her to see if they were still alive. No. She's a nurse. She didn't even look for anybody else. That uh, seems strange to me, too. Yeah. Even just something where she picked up a tricorder and it said, you know, no life signs detected. So she knew she was the only survivor. Right. Something. Right. Uh, even though I don't think the tricorder would work because of the jamming device. But just, it would have been nice if, you know, just touch the neck so the people around her realize that she's the only survivor and then move on. It won't, it won't take a minute, but it just, that made it also feel a little unrealistic. Right. And then we had a true aliens moment where she's trying to escape the ship. She sees Spock floating around outside. She's, she gets on a spaceship. She's trying to escape the ship. And there's a Gorn thing that looks just like an alien. Yes. Weird. It had that helmet on. It had a helmet on. True. Yeah. It also had a tail. Yeah, the, I think they have a tail, don't don't they? But it's so different from what we see in the original series. Oh, sure. Yeah, do well. Think, do you think maybe the, the tail ones are, are younger? I don't know. It's just... I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. But the helmet threw me because I, 
I it took me a while to realize that was a helmet. And then I realized there was a helmet when he smashed it. That's when I realized because I was like, yeah. this doesn't look like a Gorn. What is this? Well, it looked just like an alien from Alien. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when the, I guess they call those xenomorphs. Yeah. The xenomorphs from Alien. Anyway, okay. So, long story short, Chapel and Spock fight the Gorn, destroy the Gorn, and set the ship to head into the atmosphere, floating out of it and holding hands as the ship disappears from them and heads to the planet. Once the beam has been eliminated, Pike and Battelle and Scotty are beamed aboard, and they immediately take Battelle to the sick bay and put her in isolation because she's like, I am nasty here. And So Chapel's like, I'm going to save you. If there's the last thing I'm going to do, I'm going to save you. And then Pike tells them to beam the rest of the survivors on board, but they can't find them. And that includes La'on right. and Mbenga and Ortegas. They're gone. Yes. Because they have been beamed away by the Gorn. Right. So this episode ends with Pike wavering between orders. Do they retreat as Starfleet is telling them they did to do, or do they go after the Gorn to get their people back? Right. And he doesn't answer, and then we fade to black, and it's the end of the episode, and we have to wait who knows how many months right. <laughs> to find out what's going to happen. I know. So, yeah. Yeah, I hated the scene. I understand they wanted to do a cliffhanger, and I don't have a problem with that at all, but I didn't like that it was taking so long for Pike to decide what order to give. He knows he's going to go back for his people. He already disobeyed orders to do that. So I, yeah, I agree. I didn't need for him to make the decision before the episode ended. That was fine with me. I didn't like the way the writers made him look as if he was like he was going to cry or is he having a breakdown. It made him look weak to me. Yeah. I mean, I know it was a tough decision. Of course, you'd have to think about it for a second. But it, they made him look weak, like he was about to cry. And it bothered I me. Think, yeah, I, I agree 100%. It was out of character for this captain. Right. And this captain has been trained to handle difficult questions such as this. I got the impression what they were trying to do was sort of mirror the scene in The Next Generation, Best of Both Worlds, when at the end of the first episode, they have just figured out this new weapon that they think is going to destroy the Borg, and they're facing Captain Picard, now converted as a Borg, telling them to surrender number one, I'm Locutus of Borg, and Riker says, fire, and then they cut to black. Right. And that's the cliffhanger ending of that episode. And I think they were trying to do the same thing here. And it failed because we didn't have that decision. I get that. But I didn't need the decision. I just needed this scene to be shorter and, and not to make him look like he was weak. Okay. But if they had said, you know, what's your order, Captain? And he opens his mouth and then they cut. Yes. Yeah, that would have been cool. And I yeah. get it's a tough decision. And maybe they're trying to show us the captains are human too. But in my mind, it made him look weak. And the facial expressions made him look like... Like he was having a breakdown or he was going to cry. And that's not Captain Pike. And it bothered me. Yeah. I didn't need yeah. to hear the decision before the episode ended, but I didn't want him to look as weak as they made him look. I agree. I agree. So hopefully that was just a misstep. Yeah. And that we won't see that kind of behavior again because it is, doesn't seem to be consistent. I mean, this is a guy who willingly grabbed hold of a time crystal and learned his devastating future without hesitation. Exactly. Because it was the right thing to do. Exactly. And I don't think, like you said, he has a difficult time figuring out what the right thing to do is in this moment. No, absolutely not. Yeah. It was such a small thing, but it bothered me so much. It it left a bad taste in your mouth after a really intense episode. It did. It did. Yeah. 
can see that. <laughs> so what are some of the questions we're left with here? Let's talk about those because there's a bunch of things that are going to need to be resolved in right. the next episode. Right. We need to know if Captain Battelle is going to survive. Because she's not a character that we know of in the original series, we don't know that. Right. That's we don't a- know if Ortegas is going to survive. We don't know if Laon is going to survive. Right. We do know Mbenga is going to survive. We do know that Sam Kirk is going to survive. When they brought Scotty on board, Pelia recognized him as one of her greatest students, and he had some kind of device where he could mimic Gorn ship emissions and essentially disguise a ship as a Gorn ship. Yes. So we know they're going to use that to go after their people. Right. Does this mean they're going to be pulled into a war with the Gorn, do you think? I don't know how they can avoid it. Yeah, I don't know how they can avoid it either. I think you're exactly right. What, any other thoughts that you have from this episode? No. Okay, I think that's everything I had for this, too. I thought it was a really good episode. And it did follow the Vicky lineup hypothesis of <laughs> fun episode, dark episode, fun episode, dark episode. This was a very dark episode. Very, 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 yes. Yeah. Very intense. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. It had, I think, a good amount of action. Like I said, I think if they had the... Cayuga saucer piece been longer to allow for those things that we know Starfleet would have done. Save their people. Make sure that, you know, before they just sent the saucer section off into the planet. And it might have slowed the action down. I mean, there is that possibility that, you know, or they could have just said, you know, Spock personal log, you know, personal recording, since there's no ability for me to report to the ship, I have to, I have checked thoroughly and can find no life signs. Or one life sign, or I don't know, just, you know, something that lets us know that they did that. Right. Other than that, I thought this was a great episode. It was. It was It was really good. So what rating would you give this one? I'm going to give it a 9.75. <laughs> I'm always afraid to give something a 10 because I'm afraid we're going to come up with something better. Okay. And then I have nowhere to go. But you can have a bunch of 10s that are all 10s for different reasons. I guess, I guess. No, I'm with you. 9.5. Yeah. I would give this a 9.5 because it was a really good episode. Now, hopefully, the second half is also as good. We have had episodes where the first half is outstanding and then the second half kind of falls apart. Right. I'm actually hoping that the second half is going to be my 10. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Let's, okay. we got our fingers crossed. <laughs> have you heard anything about when we might see the second half? No. Neither have I. I don't pay that much attention to it. You follow that a little bit more closely than I do. I'm not even sure if they finished filming. I should go look that up just to see. Because if they finished, hopefully it'll air despite the strike. Will it? Um, As I understand this from... I've got a friend who's SAG-AFTRA. Mm-hmm. And as I understand it, contracts that were already in place prior to the strike and that are not negotiated after, you know, the agreements broke down, the negotiations broke down, those can be completed. Okay. So if they had the contract in place prior to when the strike started, then yes, they could complete that and move things forward. But I also know that, for example, the actors could not be interviewed for these episodes because of the strike. So I'm sure there's a lot more rules of not being a member of that union. I have no idea. So I think the question is, as you already indicated, you know, did they already get it started? Was it already in place? so that they could go ahead and do the work yeah. or not. And if it wasn't, then they can't. Right. And they have to wait until it's done. So hopefully the, you know, the next couple of weeks. Hopefully it's been a long time for the writers. It's been a long time for the writers, and it's coming up on a long time for yeah. the actors. Well, here's to everyone coming to a mutually agreeable solution. 
soon. I know, yes. Okay, any other thoughts about hegemony? No, not really. But I think we covered it. Well, we invite our listeners to join us next time, whenever that next time may be. <laughs> as we talk about Strange New Worlds Season 3, Episode 1, for which we don't have a name yet. Nope. Fingers crossed it'll be soon. Yeah. Thank you very much. Hope you have a good day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.